It's a Sunday kind of love. I'm Maya Tan, and I hope you're having a great weekend so far. Today, I'm going to be speaking to another Malaysian filmmaker. He's young, talented, and has proven his chops on a number of short films such as Woman in a Red Coat and Pigs. He's done commercials. He's done music videos, and generally, I have a good feeling about the film industry in Malaysia right now, with the internet and the ability to make films with a variety of accessible tools. Also, going by the new leadership at Finas, there's recognition and support for the indie scene as well. But I digress. Please say hello to film director and producer Abilash Chandra. I've been watching films as a kid since I was two, three years old. I grew up on a plantation, and as a kid growing up, like you know, films was like this escapism, right? So the, I was six years old. Uh, it was 1993, and I watched Jurassic Park for the first time. Kind of ironic because Jurassic World is playing right now. I love Jurassic Park, and Jurassic World is such a blast. Right, and Jurassic Park was the first time where I sat there in the cinema as a kid, and I think what Spielberg did for me was the ability to just make me believe that there was a dinosaur on screen. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it's not just about the surface level of having a dinosaur, but this whole sense of adventure and taking me to a different world and, and getting me transported there. So as a kid watching this, three things, wonder, amazement, and magic, right? The idea of film giving you magic and experiences. So that has always compelled me to watch more films, right? And that was when I was six. Then uh, later on, watching more films, I I got all these DVDs and I started watching more behind the scenes. I, I, I started cultivating that idea of like, how do they make these things, you know? And uh, from there, I, I realized that film is not made by one person. It's made by a community of other people. You know, it's a team effort. And when I was 13, 14, after The Lord of the Rings came out, I think, that's when I was like, yeah, okay, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. So, Tell us about the journey, your journey towards filmmaking. Well, you know, I had a very conventional upbringing, you know, like... We all did. Yeah, we all did, right? So it's either you become doctor, lawyer, engineer, accountant exactly. kind of thing, right? So I, I went to law school. I graduated with a law degree and I just felt like, do I want to do this for the rest of my life? Do I want to be 40 and and then suddenly sit in an office nine to five and say, I want to go home and I'm done with work. I wanted to have a career where I wish there were more more hours in a day. I wish there were eight days in a week where I can work all week. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to do that. I wanted to live for my career. So during that point, that's when I, I said like to myself that I need to do this for myself. I need to make films because... I would be able to share the creations of what, what makes me inspired and share it with an audience, you know, and that is a goal in itself. So, and working with a team of people, you know, it's, it's, it's very relationship-based. So, so that was why I jumped from law to film. You went to film school in New York. Yeah, I, I, went, I went to film school in NYU, and then uh, they had a branch also in Singapore called Tish Asia. I was in the Singapore campus too for a while, and I decided, like, should I go back to the States or should I stay in Malaysia and make films in Asia? And after, you know, looking at the climate of films in the region, you know, there's films like The Raid that came out from Indonesia and stuff made by a Welsh director. And I just started to realize, like, you don't need to be necessarily in L.A. or New York or something like that. You know, you can make films anywhere in the world. And trying to reach out to an, a global audience is after that taking your film out there and maybe send, sending it to festivals and stuff. And that's what the Indonesians did mm-hmm. with their film. So I think, it, yeah, you're right. It's a really, really good time for filmmaking right now yeah, yeah. with uh, connectivity, you know, with um, equipment that's simplified for you. Absolutely. And with the internet. And, and for Malaysia itself, being more specific, you know, we have Pinewood Studios in Johor. Mm-hmm. And I got a little bit of experience on that working on a production there. So, you know, it's... There's a lot of things happening, you know, and 
Indonesia's ha- coming out some great films. Thailand, of course, has some great films. Malaysia is coming out some good films. And there's a new wave of filmmakers right now. If you notice what's ha- happening in the cinemas right now, so I think it's an exciting time. You know, so I want to stay in Southeast Asia and s- keep collaborating with different people. Tell us about your first ever film. Well, the first ever short that I did was in NYU, and uh, it was a learning curve. You know, because you always assume like, oh my god, like it's my first film. I got to make it great. It's got to mean something, but. No, it's you know every film is a learning experience. You know you can't get tied down to that one film only, because it's your body of work that defines you, right? So the first film, the experience from that was you you have to deal with the realisticness of logistics, working with people, and sometimes you're never going to get whatever you want when even if you plan it. And Murphy's law: anything that can go <laughs> wrong will go wrong. So yeah. Uh, for short. Okay. Uh, what was it called, and what was it about? Oh God, I don't know if I want to say it. Um, it <laughs> oh come on! As you said, you know, it's, yeah, everything is a learning curve. Well, it was about a a relationship of this man who had multiple wives, and he didn't tell each wife that uh-huh, he it was, was still, polygamy. Yeah, it was polygamy, and but I dealt with it where the, these wives kind of team up together and took revenge on him. So it was, you know, it was one of those things where I kind of like, okay, well, the script, I don't know where the script is going with this, but let's just make it and see what happens. So what I learned from that was, you know, I did a lot of cool shots on that. And some of the comments that I got from my professors is that, you know, you know where to put a camera. That's cool, right? But at the heart of it, what is your story about? And that was the biggest learning curve: is what is the story about? Because at the end of the day, why are we going to watch movies? Are we really going to watch movies for cool shots, or are we watching movies for the characters, right? Mm-hmm. So, that was a learning curve for me mm-hmm. in terms of like how do I develop better characters? And it's not just about throwing some cool stuff around and hoping for the best. That's true, but I I believe that you know filmmaking is an art form, and with every art form, there are basically no rules oh yeah there absolutely. are directors like Darius Konji who oh, yeah. will just give you those images and those cool absolutely. shots absolutely and let you interpret what the essence or the meaning of that film is absolutely and then there are some which are just purely focused on the action mm-hmm. and the moral of the story mm-hmm. and there are some which just don't tell you anything at all and right you know. right and then you're wondering what happened yeah yeah exactly yeah. and and each of those genres I would say bring something to absolutely. the viewer it's entertainment whether you're just puzzled by it and intrigued by it it still gives you something i think absolutely i think and and that that was a whole process for me for film school so it's like really finding my voice because they say like every filmmaker has their own voice and like you said you know like sometimes the film can be just about the aesthetics of you know long lingering shots like uh, tarkovsky does that a lot you know but still uh, even if it's long lingering shots and you're you're not quite sure what's happening there's still a, a method to it and they found their voice right so it's also like finding that voice and what is the story that i want to tell yeah do i want to tell art house stuff where it's just visuals and letting the audience interpret that or do i want to tell narratives you know it's it's one of those things so that was also another process also so mm-hmm. yeah and you're right there there are no rules well you've you know done the gamut you've done commercials you've done music videos you've done short films you have you done a full length feature yet well that's the hope to do uh, next year actually in indonesia so fingers crossed we'll all see. right we look forward to that and we'll yeah. talk more about it uh, mm-hmm. in just a bit but you know in in working on all the things that you have have you found your voice i i have uh, an understanding of my voice in the sense that I like to tell stories about two people who usually can't get along with each other and how they have to work together. Mm. You know, um, in in my current film, it's like 
it's about a father and son that can't get along together and in the circumstances of the situation, how they have to work together, you know. And uh, I feel like I'm gearing off towards that kind of stories, you know. Um, relationship, it doesn't matter what the genre is, what the circumstances is, but relationship between, you know, that kind of idea. Um, but again, it might evolve, it might, it might grow to something else. But <laughs> for now, at this point, with my voice, I'd say that's where I'm at right now. Interesting. So. so you're exploring relationships and conflict. Yeah. Okay. Uh, tell us a little bit more about your previous projects. Okay. So I started doing a couple of music videos. Uh, there was this composer called Ansan, um, who also yep, went. He to was on the show as well right. a couple of weeks ago. There you go. <laughs> um, he also went to NYU, and uh, we kind of found each other, right? Malaysians, you know, who went to NYU and stuff. And then he was like saying, like, yeah, you know, I, want, I really want to do a music video and stuff. So we kind of explored that, you know, and. Uh, I started getting called for a bunch of mu- other music videos. So I did a, uh, a few other music videos along the way. And then I, I did a, a short film that was also set in a plantation, um, uh, bringing in personal elements of who I was. And uh, on that film, I, I told it from the perspective of the workers, how they spend all of their lives together. And the urge of maybe wanting to get out of that, what is that circumstance? You know, Because sometimes when you go to these plantations, you see the workers, but we never really... Well, I never really stopped and thought about what is their lives beyond that. You know, we see them picking the fruits uh, in the palm oil plantation. But what is the relationship that they share with each other? Because sometimes some of these workers are, are there for like five years, six years, seven years, eight years, and they only have each other. So on that film, that that was what I was exploring. And again, it's also about relationships and stuff. So. Okay, great. Did any of your short films make the festival circuit? Yeah, um, The Harvester, my previous short film, I went to Busan. Uh, that that had its premiere there. Then it screened in a couple of uh, other festivals like in LA and in Bangkok and stuff. So so that was a great experience, you know. And along the way, I was producing uh, other short films uh, for some of my filmmaker friends. Uh, uh, the last film that I produced was uh, a father-daughter story set in Singapore. And that's right now in post-production, and uh, hopefully that, that will get some traction in some festivals. But before that, I did a, a short film about a Down syndrome child and how he grew up on a pig farm. And that was interesting in the sense that we literally had a Down syndrome child and in this kind of location. So the whole production was based on how the boy reacted to that situation. So it was a really hard shoot because even if you schedule it and plan it, you sometimes don't know what you're going to get with the kid because mm. it's it's dedicated about the kid. Mm. So, you know, having a lot of patience with that, you know, as a producer, I was just like, okay, let's just keep going and let's see what we get. But when we finally got to the festival circuit, it got received really well and it had its premiere in Berlin and it's all over the States now. We went to Palm Springs, won a bunch of festivals there. What's you know, it called? It's called Pigs. <laughs> really? Yeah. It must have been very, very difficult, you know, to shoot in a way that doesn't exploit the Down syndrome oh, child. Oh, absolutely. But you see, the thing is, is that my director was good. You know, she, that's also another thing, like being a producer also, like you will get to work with different filmmakers so they can give you insight because it's all a learning process, right? It's collaboration and stuff. And from her, like, it's about patience, you know, and really understanding that, okay, where you point the camera and how you edit the film can show a different perspective on who this child is. So, it's, it's a fine line between, like, are you trying to tell a, a story that, that really shows the reality of the situation or are you exploiting it, you know? Mm-hmm. So for the most part, we always had the caretaker on set 
always there. She was always there. And the kid would only shoot for like six, seven hours only between breaks. And the kid would always take breaks. So like I said, the entire production is rested upon how the kid is. You know, the minute the kid feels uncomfortable, we have to stop mm-hmm. because that's just how it is. You know, you can't force the kid. Mm-hmm. And the most honest performances come from children and Absolutely. animals. Yes. <laughs> because you can't, you can't lie. The, the animals going to be there and they're going to give a performance and that's it, you know? With kids, they most of the time, they'll never lie, you know, unless they've been trained already in certain commercials and stuff. They've, they've already got their coaching, right? But sometimes when you get kids off the street or whatever, right, and you just cast based on presence, you never know what you're going to get. And that's the challenge itself, especially when you're trying to tell a story like that. Fascinating stuff. Mm. Right, I'm speaking with Abhilash Chandra. Sunday Kind of Love continues in just a bit and we're going to find out what your dream projects are, whether you see yourself producing more or directing more, uh, and some of your favourite books, music and film influences. Coming right up, this is Maya Tan, BFM 89.9. It's a Sunday kind of love. Welcome. I have Abhilash Chandra with me, Malaysian filmmaker. We've been talking about some of your previous projects, how you got started in making films. Is there a dream project uh, that you have, you know, in the back of your head? Wow. Um, you see, the thing is, is that growing up, like, I would have, like, a lot of ideas. Like, oh, I, want, I would really like to tell a story. I don't know, like, uh, an adventure story or something like that. But as you go on with life and you meet different people and you have more life experiences and, you know, with production and stuff, you, you start to have a more realistic idea of, okay, w- what are my dream films that I would really love to make? Now, I would love to do more science fiction. Uh, the last short that I, I produced uh, was a science fiction uh, piece. Um, but, yeah, I would love to do a big adventure film. Yes, absolutely. You and know? Uh, and changes, right? Like, once you've done your big adventure film, you'll move on to something else. Yeah, probably. You it's, know? it's probably a constant need that you're feeding as a, you know, as a creative person, I suppose. Sure. Yeah. So, do you write your own stuff? And, you know, what's your creative process like? Are you inspired mostly by the big idea or, you know, the premise, for example... You told me earlier that you're very interested in the dynamics between two personalities, conflict and the relationship. Or is it, you know, are you inspired by music, imagery, books, ideas? It's a little bit of everything, actually. Personally, for me, like, uh, when I try to tell a story, like, I need to find a good hook in terms of what is the purpose of the story, a good theme, so to say. And the theme, for now, it needs to be personal enough so that every time I hit a wall, I can look back at my own past and what would I have done in this situation? What would I have done in that situation? And uh, I would reach out, yeah, paintings, drawings and stuff, you know, and how does that evoke certain feelings for me? But this idea of like two people that can't get along and they have to work together, you know, in a certain situation, I, I usually equate that to most parts of growing up in life, you know, sometimes you have to work with people. And the end goal is the journey itself. So in the stories that I want to explore and I I am exploring right now is the exploration of that journey itself. You know, like, do they actually get it or not? We don't know. But 
the experience of these two people trying to sort out their differences, I think that's pretty much very universal in that sense because I think a lot of people can relate to that. They always say it's it's about the journey, not the end goal, right? right. Yeah. yeah. Who are your favorite directors? Well, Jurassic Park, Spielberg. <laughs> yeah, I, I love Scorsese because the way he handles characters is phenomenal. And uh, he has this thing where he sits down with his actors and he puts that idea down. You know, the script is a blueprint, right? And he puts the idea down and then he lets the actors just go off on whatever tangent that they want. And then he brings it back and then he rewrites the script based on actors' performances. So, so I it's find, kind of like a workshop thing. Yeah, and it's a collaboration again. So mm. I appreciate Scorsese in that sense in terms of his collaboration. Uh, another favorite director of mine is, can I say two? on the third oh, absolutely it, yeah paul thomas anderson and steve mcqueen because again the way they ha- and handle the writing of their own scripts is fantastic you know they they just know how to put a voice into these people because sometimes the, the thing is is that if you're working on your own and you're writing a script there's a tendency of sometimes characters sounding like each other and that's a big danger you know because no two people actually tend to talk like the same person you know so Trying to find a voice, even if it's a very menial supporting character or an extra, you know, the way that they communicate with each other in that journey of that story is so crucial. And I, I feel like Paul Thomas Anderson and Steve McQueen, they, they know how to do that so well. Mm. Mixed with the visuals, of course. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, it makes me realize how important that script is oh, because there's yeah. only so much that a good actor mm-hmm. can give. I mean... Mm-hmm. I was just talking to my friends about um, Fifty Shades of Grey. Right. And of course, what they did in the film was the dialogue mm. was marginally better. Mm. I think what did it for me was that there were two very strong actors there. Mm. Jamie Dornan is a good actor mm. and so is Dakota. Sure. And so what they made me see was, you know, the story for what it was. He's a boy with toys who wants what he wants. He just right. wants to play right. and not really take responsibility for things. Mm-hmm. And she's just a little girl who's, you know, impressionable and she's caught up with all this fascinating fast-paced lifestyle kind of stuff and she does laugh I, I love the moments when she giggled at you know when Christian Grey was being overly serious and that was truth for me right. so I think both of them kind of brought a truth out mm-hmm. and they salvaged this mishmash story that right. came out of you know Twilight fan fiction right yeah. absolutely so, so the script is the script you know, is key you mm. know what you do with it after that is your collaboration with your actors and the production itself. Right. Were there any books that have inspired you or books that you'd love to turn into a film? Well, I'll be honest, like the books that I read are mostly like more about making movies. Yeah, different directors like Sidney Lumet's making movies and stuff or, you know, uh, Stanislavski and all of that. But I recently read Shantaram. Um, and I, I really like that book, you know. I, I loved I, it. Yeah, and I was, I'm wondering when are they actually going to make that into a movie? I, I think they were with Johnny they were. Depp. Johnny Depp was, yeah. you know, they, they actually announced that they were going to make it into a movie. I think it was written by an Australian guy. Right, yeah. You know, I can't imagine that he went through all that, living through yeah. the slums of India, yeah. going to prison and that right. sort of thing. My name is Gregory David Roberts. I wrote a novel called Shantaram. When heroin took me from university to armed robbery, I found myself in a maximum security prison serving a 10-year sentence. When I was tortured in that prison, I escaped. I stood on the front wall between two gun towers at one o'clock in the afternoon and slid down an extension cord to freedom. I spent 10 years on the run as Australia's most wanted man. I made it to India 
And in India, I set up a clinic in a slum, looking after 25,000 people who were slum dwellers in the heart of Bombay City. I was recruited by the Bombay Mafia, and I became a passport forger, a counterfeiter, and a gun runner. I went to two wars. I've been chained to the wall and tortured on two continents, locked up and leg-ironed on three continents. I've been in prisons nine times in my life, and I've learned a lot of things through four years of solitary confinement and through all of the adventures and experiences. The two things are, be true to love wherever you find it, and be true to yourself and everything that you really are. And what did this wild and wicked life give me? It gave me three things that I know. I know how to love, I know how to forgive, and I know how to write Shantaram, my masterpiece. His uh, descriptions, though, of the world was so visual. Like, I totally could see that as a film, and it would have it been a great film. What I felt so excited about Shantaram is that the or in films in general, like like recently, even in Mad Max also, it's just the world building, you know, the world, how a filmmaker introduces us to the world and the rules of the world before we actually experience the film with the characters, right? And Shantaram does a great job with that, you know, like the, the experience of India, like when he, he lands, the first thing that hits him is his smell, you know, and then you're seeing the, the vibrant colors and everything. And, you know, I would love to see how a different director would, would definitely approach that instead of, uh, like, Danny Boyle kind of did that. But, you know, to be fair, like, a lot of Indian filmmakers actually have shown a certain look of how India is, you know, like Mira Nair and all that. But, yeah, you know. Perhaps the director of Life of Pi. Or Ang Lee, yeah, I love Ang Lee. Yeah. yeah, and that was just so refreshing. Oh, you know, absolutely. A foreigner's view of, oh, of India yeah, and yeah. yet being truthful to it. Yep. Yeah. Musical influences? Oh, um... I don't know if it's embarrassing. I don't know. But um, in my iPhone, all that I listen to is just soundtrack music. I just, just like on sun. Yeah. Maybe that's why we're friends. <laughs> but um, I listen to a lot of soundtrack music. Uh, James Newton, Howard, Hans Zimmer, John Williams, Thomas Newman, everyone, you know. And, uh, you know, sometimes I even go out to the Polish, you know, orchestra guys and composers. And it's just, it's just great because it's just they give you a canvas of melodies and it invokes something which is emotion, right? And then what does that emotion give you? And then suddenly you're dreaming about ideas, visuals, right? And then you hook onto those visuals. And then what is the story behind that visual? So, th I mean, that's how I kind of work, you know? So I listen to soundtracks every day, all the time, when I'm driving, whatever. It, they tell stories, yeah, right? Yeah, it's, it's, tell, it's telling stories. So They my, invoke images, as you say. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. What's your favorite OST of all time? Ooh, um... I really, really love Jurassic Park. This is a nostalgia. <laughs> I know, I know. But um, also, E.T. soundtrack's great, Close Encounters. This is all Spielberg. But the other soundtrack that I've been recently listening to a lot is uh, Francis Ford Coppola did a film called Dracula back in 1994 or yeah, something like that. Yeah, with Winona Ryder and uh, Keanu Reeves. Yep. Um, and oh, Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman. And the composer was called Wachia Keller. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. But he. it's just... A lot of culture in that because it's a lot of Eastern European influence in that and I really really love I can listen to that all day and get influenced by that so before the conversation continues let's step into Abi's world and experience music with our imaginations this is Mina slash Dracula taken off the original movie soundtrack of the film Dracula directed by Francis Ford Coppola a Sunday kind of love continues in just a bit on BFM 89.9 
It's a Sunday kind of love. Good afternoon. It's Maya Tan, and I'm here with Abhilash Chandra, Malaysian filmmaker. We've been talking about films that he's made, films that he will make, films that he wants to make, and also about his favorite film, music, and book influences. What are your thoughts on TV versus film? Well, I think right now, um, American TV is actually in a really really good place you know people are saying tv is the new film oh yeah well you see the thing is is that like right now if you're looking at strictly hollywood right studios run everything with big marketing campaign it's it's about what's the life after these big films and merchandising and toys and whatever not but tv right now with netflix and hbo and stuff they have better room to explore different sorts of stories and with the episodes right it gives you more uh, leeway to explore characters better in depth, right? So my favorite TV shows right now, which I recently saw, was True Detective. The first season yeah. is amazing, and um, Breaking Bad was great. You know, of course, recently Game of Thrones. You're you're naming all my favorites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love those. What are your thoughts on Penny Dreadful? I haven't actually seen that. Oh, you have to, you have to, okay. because I like how the shots and the jump scares are very well thought out right. they're not cheap jump scares right, exactly. and, and it's really how they build suspense. the fear and the suspense yeah. that's you know yeah. really great yeah. and I love how the storylines kind of bring together all the penny dreadful mm. stories you know from Dracula to Frankenstein oh, wow, awesome. uh, to witches to okay I won't spoil it for you that's what I love about these kind of this kind of films is the mythology behind it you know like what is the mythology behind the idea of Dracula, Frankenstein, whatever. Because they have a life before they became who they were, right? I'm, I'm extremely captivated by mythology. And I, think, I feel in Asia, we have a lot of that. But generally, a lot of them kind of lean towards the jump scares and stuff. And I, I'm hoping more films would explore mythology more. And the stories and, behind it. And the stories it. behind it. Yeah, and know? the characters. The characters are all very rich. Yeah. There are always clear-cut villains and the clear-cut heroes right. and heroines. But then the backstories are also rather interesting. Absolutely. Even if you think about uh, Masuri in, mm. in Langkawi, right. there's really so much more going right. on in the background. Yeah, absolutely. I think you, you mentioned earlier, you're going to stay in Southeast Asia mm-hmm. and you're going to make films from Southeast mm-hmm. Asia. Will you be exploring any more of these mythologies in oh, your yeah. work? Yeah, absolutely. I would love to. There's so many stories here, man. Like There's so many legends. There's so many... Even if you're talking about contemporary too, you know, it's just rich with everything. And, you know, maybe some countries might be certainly sensitive to certain ideas of certain stories. That doesn't mean creatively you can't explore it. You can always put different characters in different situations, but tell the same story to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. It's just how we want to approach it. So tell us about your upcoming film. Uh, you've got a project that you're trying to fund on Indiegogo, yep. and it's called Cargo. Yep. So Cargo is basically an exploration uh, uh, story between a father and son. Uh, a father that is basically a responsible man who is very clear-cut about what his goals in life is, you know, get a job, take care of my family. And then he has his son who's exploring himself in a certain way. He's sort of a dreamer, you know, things that his father can't connect with, you know. And uh, across this journey, the father goes to plantations and he transports machineries, you know, spare parts and whatever not. Today, on this day, in this story, he comes across uh, a plantation that he usually frequents to where a giant dirt mound has grown. And in Malay, we call it a busut, right? And it's a, it, it looks like a big anthill, right? But it's more 
twisted in its own form. I've actually worked with concept artists to actually design this thing. And I wanted to bring that sense of mythology into this story, right? Now, if you look at previous films that have actually touched on mythologies, like this whole concept of this Hantu Raya, I didn't want it to be about, oh, it's a ghost story. It's a, it's Yes, it's a horror, but the horror element is what could be inside this thing. Now, the plantation people, you know, it, we in general in Malaysia, we're very superstitious people, right? So they feel that there's something not right with this. And today he has to transport this dirt mound out of the plantation to another location. And they just want to get rid of it because some of the workers are not feeling really right about this thing. And now we're, we're seeing this world through the kid's point of view. So when the kid is experiencing this, this situation in this plantation, the conflict between the father and son become more apparent. This kid's like, you shouldn't take this job. You know, there's something not right with this. But the father's like, I have a job. I'm teaching you about responsibility. And this is just the way things work. You know, are you going to take care of me? It's heartbreaking. Yeah, it's heartbreaking, right? Now, I don't want it to be one of those films where it's about, like, like we talked about earlier, like jump scares and all of that. It's not about that. It's about atmosphere, tone, mood. And the relationship between the boy and the father and how much the father wants to listen to his son and how much the boy can try to reach out to his father. Why did you decide to include this horror element into the film? Well, here's the thing, right? Like, a couple of years ago, like, I used to go to these plantations and stuff and, uh, you know, in the, in the villages, people would just start talking about all the little experiences that they have and they really genuinely believe it. So to that extent, I, I wanted to explore from the perspective of these people, right? How would they see this, this world? What is that experience like? And localizing it to a certain extent, but giving it a little bit of flavor. And how are we going to give a little bit of flavor? I'm working with a bunch of guys from Lucasfilm in Singapore. They've worked on a lot of big productions and, uh, you know, like Pacific Rim, Transformers and stuff. So I've been able to work with these guys who are giving their international experience into designing this thing so it's not just a regular thing that you've seen in any other film locally but a different element to it you know so the experience itself is very local but at, at the same time hopefully it can be relatable to everyone outside of the country this busut thing mm -hmm. right is it something that's been encountered quite often by people in plantations well the thing is is that some some people believe that it needs to be grown and apparently inside it, there's a, a force that's inside that is looking for a master. And the person that's taking care of this busod will be having a relationship with the force that's inside it, right? And that kind of mythology is what kind of inspired me. I'm not following it 110% with that, but that idea alone was this whole thing about uh, there's something inside there that could be looking for something else outside in the real world, mm -hmm. you know? So... That's just an element that, that's just going to be there to explore how the local mythology could relate to a very normal relationship. So it's normal people put in an extraordinary circumstance, basically. Right. Yeah. You said in the video that there are some parallels between your own relationship with your father. Right. What would yeah. those be? Well, it's just, uh, you know, practicality, you know, responsibility. Uh, growing up, you know, you want to do a lot of things and that communication between a father and son uh, sometimes can hit a lot of brick walls, right? And sometimes you feel like as a kid growing up, you feel like, ah, I know exactly what I'm doing. But really, sometimes it's a tug of war, 
you know and it's i would say like my relationship with my father is like more of a collaboration of different ideas that sometimes don't always gel together and sometimes we have to find a middle ground to understand each other so it's a lot of understanding so that's the very personal element of the the film do you foresee any potential challenges in making a film that's so personal to you oh yeah absolutely you know sometimes you see things in your head and you you have a certain sensibility of this is how a scene should be you know um a certain way the boy talks at the same time this is a malay child and a malay father it can't be exactly like my my relationship but the the feeling the intention the relationship is same right but the communication has to be different because it's very particular to you know their a, a culture, vi- the culture their language know, the language and also where they are from and so, even the felda people have their own culture as well right exactly so it, it, there's a lot of sensitivity that you have to do research really so yeah <laughs> uh, how long did the writing process take and you know do you do anything different in your creative process when you go to film school of course mm-hmm. they'll tell you first comes this then the storyboard then this then this do you break out of that well the thing is is that even in film school too like everyone has their own organic process of course we talk about structure you know act 1 act 2 act 3 and whatever not and inciting incidents but the you know what i do is is i outline a structure of course i do do that but where the character goes with their intentions and their relationships sometimes takes a life of its own and i'll do a first draft and what i usually do is i get try to get as many opinions as i can And sometimes you have to be careful with that also because you know if you ask 10 people sometimes 10 people will have different opinions about everything. That's usually a problem then with your script. But if there's a certain common through line where three or four people can kind of say like okay this is working but something's not right with the intention in act 2 maybe. So then it gives me a gauge of okay at least like a few people are reacting the same way. Now what can I do to improve on that? Why I say that 10 people giving 10 different opinions is there's a problem is because then you don't know what direction you're going to go into. And, and these 10 people would be part of your crew, right? Not really. I try to stay away from that because you know, sometimes people are much much more honest if you just give it to them and they don't really have a relationship with you because then you see real honesty. <laughs> Unless you you have a, a and I do have a, a close knit of friends who are very honest also, you know, just You know sometimes you just have to say dude like just be frank with me because I feel like honesty is so important especially when you're doing something creative because you never know sometimes you're just playing in the dark blind so. spots I mm-hmm. suppose yeah mm-hmm. do you have a mentor I yeah I did you did yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> but why I say I did is because I think after a while he told me like you know you you need to go and search for yourself sometimes you know because sometimes filmmaking is like you can't hold someone's hand all the time and say what do we do next what do we do next sometimes you just got to go into the wild and explore but uh, to a certain extent my professors also played a very important role as mentors you know yeah. yeah i'm just guessing you know when you've already gone ahead you've created and you just want sort of like honest advice mm-hmm. uh, and for someone to sort of see things from the outside perspective and you know check on your blind spots i guess that's when it's you know useful to reach out to a mentor and oh yeah like for example like even with you too right i i would just give my script to you and say maya what do you think about the script just tell me what you feel after you read and usually it's the first impressions you know that that first opinion is always so valuable because 
then gives you an idea of okay now the film is playing on the screen how does that feel to an actual audience yeah. all right so what are your plans then with cargo when do you start shooting or is it dependent on you know what what you can manage to raise from indiegogo well the indiegogo money will come in during uh, the production actually so the production happens next month in the second week of july so we shoot for four days near bunting so the indiegogo is a major chunk and then i also have other funding to start off the production because i have to start the production in july because the people who are collaborating with me uh, are available for that time and i really want to work with these people so the script process actually i earlier you you asked how long did the script take i i would say like it took about 6 7 months of just going back and forth back and forth trying to find where this idea can go getting opinions and hitting a lot of brick walls then After the English script was done, I had to do a Malay script and make sure the sensibilities was right. So that is also another thing that took a couple of months. So and it's still being worked on. And my structure is already there, and we go into production in July. So everything is just trying to get everything to fall in place and prep, prep, prep. Can you tell us who you're going to be working with, or is that kind of like PNC? Uh, I'm going to be working with uh, this actor called Namron, and uh, the kid in the actual pitch. is not the kid that we are actually going to be working oh. with and i spent a long time trying to find the right kid you know you just have to find the right kid with the right presence and stuff you know i'm not talking about looks i'm talking about energy mm. and i managed to find this one child who's absolutely brilliant really smart his name's yunos and i think he's going to carry the film and the, it's told from the boy's perspective so yeah i'm excited I am too listening mm. to how you've described him mm-hmm. working with Namron yeah. who's great also in eliciting responses from right. his fellow actors yeah. and he's a director himself so I can only expect good things especially from you know the imagery that I've seen mm. from your director's show reel and also on Indiegogo so I wish you all the best Is there anything else that you'd like to tell us I'd say keep watching films, keep getting inspired and if there are any filmmakers out there, you know, I want to see more filmmakers come out in Malaysia and who actually come back to Malaysia and you know, try collaborating with more people and and see what the next 10 years would come out, you know. We want to make great films here. And if people want to support Cargo, your film on Indiegogo? Yeah, absolutely. If if you guys feel inspired by the film, you can just go to Indiegogo. We even have a page called facebook.com/entertheCargo. And over there, there's the Indiegogo page. You can just click on the link and contribute however much you want via credit card. Okay, thanks very much for joining us today. I'm so inspired, and I hope that you know others out there are also inspired by you. Thank you, Abilas Chandra. Thank you, Malaysian filmmaker. This has been a Sunday kind of love. We'll be back next week with a Sunday kind of beauty. Our special episode on beauty. This has been a Sunday kind of love. I'm Maya Tan, BFM eighty nine point nine.